0: Hello, this is Joe Kwan, The Connection Counselor. Today on Executive Presence Morsels, we'll be sampling another bite-sized learning to help you be seen, be heard, and be elevated. Hello, this is Joe, The Connection Counselor, and welcome to 2022. So glad to be spending the new year with you on Executive Presence Morsels. It's been a pleasure since July when we started to be with you every weekday at 7 a.m. sharp, delivering the only daily leadership insight on executive presence. This year, we're going to try something a little bit different, a little bit fun. Um, there were times last year where we just organically slipped into themes, uh, and I really enjoyed that, and I had some good feedback that others did too. So this year, more often than not, each week of five episodes, we're going to have a theme. Um, and that will kind of help tie the different concepts together. And this year, the theme, uh, or this week, the theme will be on the brain. So today we're going to talk about stress in the brain and how that works and how that can affect your executive presence. Now, if you're a leader, what I like to say, at some point, you're going to get punched in the face. I don't mean and I hope it's not literal, but I mean from an experience standpoint, something really difficult is going to happen, which is going to make you upset. Um, a vendor is going to fall through, uh, a key player is going to leave for a competitor. All these things are kind of the reason why you've been chosen because of management's faith for you to deal with that. And if you're the type of person who wants to assume more leadership by showing your ability to lead in the face, of those sorts of difficult challenges that put something very good in your ledger for being promoted and selected going forward. Now, that's easier said than done, right? Mike Tyson famously said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So as human beings, it's not easy for us to react, perhaps in the best way, when something horrible happens. And sometimes when it happens, it really hurts us right? It can hurt us from an ego perspective. It can hurt us from an emotional perspective. It can hurt us from a resource perspective, right? Maybe we are just, you know, with COVID and everything that's going on and people, the great resignation, maybe you just don't have anything left to give and your alarm is going off. And how do you respond to that? So I want to focus today a little bit on this concept of the alarm that goes off when your capacity Uh, is exceeded. And I don't want to paint the alarm as a bad person, right? The alarm is actually there to help you. It's there to notify you that there could be a serious problem, right? So the alarm is not the problem itself. The alarm is just the, hello, certain things have exceeded its threshold, and you need to look into this. So what we want to do with that alarm is we want to minimize the reactivity to that alarm because as a leader, all sorts of things are going to pop up, but you don't want to react so severely to every single one of them. Uh, You want to be able to use your discretion and understand. You want to be able to address all of them and acknowledge them, but don't be reactive, right? You want to be able to respond in the right way for the ones that matter. And that leads me to my second point. We want to increase the responsivity to the alarms where it really matters. So when there really is an emergency and, you know, great action is required or organization is required, we want to be the type of employee, leader, boss, whatever it is that increases their response and responds in the right way to help things get done rather than to make things worse or perhaps to be passive and not do anything at all. Now, the challenge with this is, as you all know, and as I know from experience, when that alarm goes off, it's often not easy to think clearly because the alarm is going off. And if you think about any time you've been in a building and and heard the building alarm go off, like in a dormitory or an office building, or even just a really loud car alarm, you, you can't even think, right? The alarm is so loud. So what can we do? to respond in a way that's more balanced, that we can respond to that alarm in an effective manner. And we talked about in previous episodes, some techniques that you could use in terms of uh, your breathing and thinking about helping others that can really help keep you balanced because equanimity, that ability to deal with stress uh, in a very balanced way is part of what gives others the experience that you have executive presence and that equanimity actually flows to others and they can actually sort of um, drift off the back of your equanimity and have more equanimity themselves which is a very desirable quality in a team member and in a leader and i was recently um reading this book about the stress uh, response and one of the things that was so interesting is how do you uh, reset that alarm, right? The, the alarm has gone off. You, you know it's there. But a lot of times it's, it's the reaction after the alarm that makes it difficult to perform. And what I learned is, and I'll uh, share the book uh, in the show notes. The name of the book escapes me at the moment. Apologies. Is your ability to focus on what you value most resets the alarm, right? Because the alarm is going off because your self, your whole, uh, your body, your being is telling you there's something that requires attention here, and that's why the alarm is being triggered and going off. And in order to sort of mute the alarm and turn it off, it's not necessarily your reaction, but it's your ability to focus on what you value most that resets the alarm, because that tells yourself that you are responding in a way that's going to get the right results and then the alarm can go down now what happens when you ignore the alarm right what happens when you try to suppress it or distract it i don't know about you but for me it comes back in an inopportune moment later maybe even worse than if i had dealt with it in the first place so ignoring the alarm is not great sticking earmuffs on so you can't hear the alarm is not great the reaction that is most adaptive rather than maladaptive is to address that alarm by focusing on what you value most because that allows the parts of your brain that are triggering triggering that alarm to understand, okay, Joe, John, Patricia, Sarah, whoever, they're going to handle what needs to be handled. So this week, if you really like the theme of this, Check out an earlier Executive Presence Morsels bonus episode I did with Dr. Melissa Hughes as part of the CoLab series. It's a bonus episode where we mix neuroscience and executive presence and see what comes out. She's got a wealth of information and knowledge, and it was uh, one of my favorite episodes I recorded last year, and it fits very nicely with the theme of the brain. Well, thanks so much for listening to Executive Presence Morsels. I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. Remember, it's not what you say, do, or wear. It's how you make people feel that generates executive presence. Nothing else matters. If you like, please stay tuned for a preview of tomorrow's episode brought to you our sponsors. The truth is, it's not easy coming up with content for a daily podcast like Executive Presence Morsels. One way I keep things fresh is by constantly learning from others. An easy and convenient way to do this is through audiobooks, and the Rolls-Royce of audiobooks is Audible. Today, our listeners can try a free 30-day trial of Audible Premium Plus, which gives you Credits for up to two premium titles of your choosing. Access to the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible Originals. It's a buffet and no credits needed. And a friendly email reminder before your trial ends. Go to www.connectioncounselor.com slash bookme to sign up. And while you're there, check out my latest book reviews. Thank you for supporting our show. Welcome to episode two of Brain Week on Executive Presence Morsels. Today we're going to talk about leadership as a habit. What do I mean by that leadership as a habit and why would we even be talking about that in terms of our brain? If you stop and really think about how most of your life unfolds and most of the things happen, we tend to overestimate the amount of conscious Uh, logical, rational decision-making we make. If you are really honest and stop and think about it, most of our life runs on habits, right? I don't know what the percentage is, but definitely more than 50% of what happens in your life is habitual, right? There's just the things you do as you wake up, before you go to sleep, when certain scenarios happen, we just respond with a habit. And habits don't get me wrong, they're adaptive, right? They uh, are meant to embody or or meant to sort of codify behaviors that make sense for us to do. And we don't want to have to think about them all the time, right? Like brushing your teeth. You don't want to have to always make a decision whether you whether you brush your teeth or not. You just do that at a certain time as part of your nighttime routine. So habits are not necessarily good or bad. Habits are habits. Uh, They're they're things that put us on autopilot and in a way create a a greater efficiency in what we do. Now, there's a problem. Some habits are not to our benefit, right? I don't necessarily want to say good or bad when it comes to leadership habits, but uh, in the realm of maybe health habits, right, there are clearly good or bad habits, and there are habits that we may want to break. Um, maybe you're overeating, or maybe you're not getting enough sleep, or, um, I don't know, maybe um, you're hanging out with negative people and you can't stop hanging out with them. Things like that. You can definitely tell that there are certain things that you want more of in terms of a habit you have, uh, and there are certain things you want less of. The challenge is habits are notoriously hard to change right think about the typical and it's a great theme for this week new year's resolution right how many new year's resolutions do we have to break a bad habit you know stop smoking stop drinking stop i don't know any sort of thing that you perceive as as negative and, and bad for your life right now how many of those uh do we have a temporary one to two week lift in limiting that behavior and then boom you're right back into it On the flip side, how many good habits do we try to develop? They sell a ton of gym memberships, right? In in December and January and February. Or um, you want to get up earlier or go to sleep earlier um, or eat healthier, right? And you want to eat more, I don't know, organic food and stop eating as much fatty food. And that lasts maybe a week or two weeks. And then boom, you're just, you know, up to your old tricks again. And Charles... Um, Duhigg in the power of habit, uh, really breaks down this thing called the habit loop in a really great way. And it's super informative to just kind of understand the mechanics of, of how the habits are created. And there's, you know, three elements. There's the cue or the trigger, right? That, that's the, the thing that uh, kicks off the habit. Um, and then there's the actual behavior or you could call it the routine, right? That's the thing that actually you do in response to that cue and then there's the reward right and reward not necessarily monetary it could be an emotional type reward so you know one easy example um, could be that stress could serve as the cue and your response or behavior uh, could be going out for a smoke or having a drink which produces the reward which is a reduction of stress temporarily typically and so this is what he calls the habit loop uh, and it's, it's very interesting and very helpful to understand. The challenge is knowing the habit loop and even the knowing the mechanics of how it works still often isn't enough to get you to change your habit, right? Like just because you know how to do it doesn't mean, uh, you're actually going to make it happen. So it almost seems like there's a principle or there's a concept that's, that's missing here that could really make a difference that people aren't talking about or aren't aware of. And, you know, I have a guess as to what that is, and and I want to share that with you today. Um, I also read probably one of my favorite books I read that year, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And what he says in his book about habits is changing your identity is the key to changing your habits. I'll give it to you one more time. Changing your identity is the key to changing your habits. So I'll use the exercise example. If you decide you're going to become a runner or you are a runner, then it's more likely that you're going to go out every day and go for a run and any sort of obstacles you will sort through and additional things that need to happen to accommodate the running lifestyle you will do versus just saying, oh, I should be healthier. I should run more. That's a lot less likely to succeed than when you change your identity from a non-runner to a runner. So that doesn't require anything else other than your belief and your conscious decision to do that. And it echoes something that, uh, one of my favorite quotes from Jonathan Rowson. he's a Scottish chess grandmaster. Um, I'll just read the quote. I, I think I've shared it before in several venues. He has this great, Uh, sort of email correspondence with someone. And he says, when it comes to ambition, it is crucial to distinguish between wanting something and choosing it. Decide that you want to be world champion and you will inevitably fail to put in the hard work. If, however, you choose to become world champion, then you will reveal your choice through your behavior and determination. Every action says, this is who I am. I just love that, right? You 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 choose and you have no choice now. Once you've made that choice, everything you do has to fall in line with the behavior. So I believe that is a missing piece and a very important principle when it comes to changing your habits. Either uh, eliminating one that you perceive as negative or maladaptive and or gaining one that you think is very positive or adaptive in a good way. So this week, what I'd like you to do is pick one habit you'd like to change and identify the new identity you will choose that forces that new habit to come into being. And let me know how it goes. I would love to hear from you. You can just email me at joe at com. Thanks for listening to Executive Presence Morsels. This is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. Remember, it's not what you say, do, or wear. It's how you make people feel that generates executive presence. Nothing else matters. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you again. Join us next time for another tasty Executive Presence Morsel.